Welcome back to Freedom Fridays. We are continuing our discussion on eternal security and a final discussion on this this week. Uh, as we began this discussion last week, and uh, we will be continuing it now today. God's Spirit is in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. What does he call you in this, these verses? The temple of God, the dwelling place of God. God is in you. Just like in the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle and then the temple in Jerusalem. And God said, I will dwell here to a point where people I'll answer people when they pray toward this. However, it goes a step further with believers and says, I will actually dwell inside you. The Bible teaches that we, the Holy Spirit lives in all Christians. Some people believe the Holy Spirit only lives in obedient Christians, but the, the scriptures are clear that he lives in all Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, spiritual, as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. They are still in Christ. Christ is still in them, even though they are fleshly in that um, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is a correction of the Corinthian church that had been living a fleshly life. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, which we've dealt with in the past as well. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is in us with the purpose of making us into what God has designed us to be so that we will make it to the ultimate of our salvation. God's Spirit is in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only is God's Spirit in you, but in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. God's life is in you as well as a believer in Jesus Christ. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life comes from God. Does not come into judgment. That's pretty strong as well from the mouth of Jesus himself. But has passed out of death and into life. John chapter 3 verse 16 
should be a very familiar verse for most of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Down to verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so we see that as believers in Jesus, we have God's life in us. Then if we go back to 2 Corinthians 5.17, I said we were going to come back to this last week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are a new creature. And so God has created us to be new. He's, he's taken all the old things away. He's taken out and killed the flesh, even though the flesh is still with us until our sanctification is complete when we are with him. It is no longer um, powerful in our life that we have to obey it. We are now a new creature. We're completely new. Here's a quote for you from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, when someone uh, says that it's dangerous to believe in eternal security because people will just say, well, I, I'm, I'm now a Christian and so I can do anything I want. And, he, and people have said that's a dangerous position because now people will just wantonly do whatever they want. He says the question is, is it in the Bible? If it is, there is. If it is there, let none of us ever say it is dangerous. The question isn't whether you think it's dangerous. The question is, is it in Scripture? And so he has created us to be a new creation. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. Again, what about those who don't continue Again, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Why? Why is it that he says with confidence, if they had been saved, they would have remained? Because of the very thing we talked about last week, that we are not kept by the power of your might, but we are kept by the power of God. And the power of God is able to keep us from falling. And so he reiterates that. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. We are a new creation. Let's go to 2 Timothy. Excuse me, Titus chapter 1. In verse 2, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. God cannot lie. 
How does that description tell us that we cannot lose our salvation? Because he has promised us eternal life. And if he has promised us eternal life ages ago, then we have the hope of eternal life, according to this verse, because God cannot lie. And he has promised this. So some people believe that you can lose your salvation, which is steeped in what we call Arminianism. And there's some doctrinal problems with this concept of losing your salvation. The stakes are also very, very high. First of all, this false teaching has a low view of salvation. It teaches that you receive eternal life by grace, but that you keep it by works, which is contrary to Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3, which say, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says, you started out with the Spirit, you're going to continue with the Spirit. In reality, it amounts to work salvation to believe that you can lose your salvation through your own works. The result uh, of such teaching is the pride that's condemned in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, if you think that you have kept your salvation, it is going to lead you to that pride. Secondly, the false teaching of losing your salvation has a low view not only of salvation, but a low view of sin. Uh, many who teach that you, you lose your salvation by sin also teach of necessity that it is possible to live a life entirely free from sin, uh, which is contrary to Scripture. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 reiterates that sometimes I do what I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do I end up doing. And uh, it goes back and forth there, and he says, it's the, it's the flesh, it's the sin working in me to do this. And it, so it's contrary to Scripture. And they have to say that you can be perfect because that is the only way you wouldn't lose your salvation. To justify the belief of sinless perfection, they often redefine or minimalize sin. And so, you know, I didn't do this, and I didn't do that list of sins, and I didn't do the other list of sins. But no one who correctly understands the holiness of God would presume to be called sinless himself. In fact, they've changed that name. Now they won't call it sinless. They call it um, perfected sanctification or something of that nature. Thirdly, this false teaching not only has a low view of salvation, not only has a low view of sin, but it also has a low view of God. It teaches that God would give you a gift, then change his mind. Uh, Romans 11 and verse 29 says this, For the gifts 
and the calling of God are irrevocable. You cannot, the gift of God is irrevocable. It cannot be removed. God doesn't change his mind about it. It teaches that he would somehow exact punishment for one sinner two times, which is contrary to Hebrews 1.3. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One time. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. All sins. One time. The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Then we're going to go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. That principle still applies today. Because God does not change, that we are not consumed or we do not lose our salvation because if God did change, we would be in a world of hurt. So this false teaching has a low view of salvation. It has a low view of sin. It has a low view of God. And it has a low view of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. It teaches that although he died for sin, his death is in adequate to pay for all sins because somehow you might commit a sin that's outside of the ability for his atonement to pay for. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so we see the sufficiency of God's grace and his justice in the salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, that it is completely able to save us from our sin, from every one of them, all of them in their entirety. John chapter 19 and verse 30 Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, Go finish it on your own. No, of course not. He said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said the word, It is finished. Now, why did I say the word? Because in Greek, it is one word, tetelestai. It's, it's a word used to describe a payment or purchase, and it means that the account in question has been paid in full. 
So Christ paid in full for your sins. No more payment is required, not by you, not by anyone else. It is finished. For God to require two payments, one by Christ and one by you, would be unjust. Consider this. When Christ died for your sins nearly 2,000 years ago, he died for all of them. All of your sins at that point, during the, at the death of Christ, were still in the future. None of your sins were in the past. So you can't say, well, he paid for all of my sins up until salvation. Well, they were all still future when he paid for them. All of your sins, including the sins you committed yesterday, the ones you commit today, and the ones you will commit in the future. According to 1 John 1, 7, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. According to that verse, how many of your, or excuse me, that was 2, 7. But if we walk in the light, that as he is in, himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How many of your sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus? All of your sins. In the words of Charles Wesley, love's redeeming work is done. Hallelujah. Fought the fight, the battle won. Hallelujah. So we see that God has cleansed us from all of our sin. Finally, 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. That's very strong that Jesus, is, he's not saying you won't sin. He says, if you do sin, Jesus will then go to the Father and make it right. He will tell him, that's covered by my blood. I already paid for that one. That one's done. And so here he's talking about in the future, if we do sin. And further in verse 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. So that means that he has already satisfied God's wrath on our sin by dying on the cross. And so we see that our sins are completely forgiven. You can rest assured that God will not go back on his promises. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week as we discuss some current events and how they relate scripturally as to things that might or might not be coming up in the future shortly and how should we respond biblically. We'll see you and talk about that next week on Freedom Fridays. Mm -hmm.